Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We began to plan Easter Sunday a long time ago, quite a ways back actually, so that's pretty common for most churches. And You know, I, I was praying over this sermon and trying to get a title for it, and I have a couple of titles that I decided not to go with. Would you like to know the prevailing title that we didn't go with? It was this. They see me rolling. They hating. <laughs> that was funny. Man, rough crowd today. That was real good. No, that wasn't even close to my title. But um, as I was praying about this message, I really felt like the Lord told me to talk about the fact that he wasn't just a savior that suffered, but he was a king that was risen. And so... I went shopping and got some purple material. Yes, that was me. Isn't it amazing? Amen. Can I get a little of love for the, for the purple? Y'all don't need to go to Joanne's on Saturday. I'm just telling you, it's a mess. But I made it through it. I survived. Uh, purple was a very hard color to come by in the days of Jesus, but it was a color of royalty because of the technique that they had for dyeing material, it was very expensive. And so I want you to know that by putting that up, I just thought that maybe I could communicate to you and talk to you about the fact that what he did for us was very expensive. It cost him a lot to purchase us back from the place that we had fallen to. The curse of sin came into play all the way in the Garden of Eden, and that was the place where God was willing to not only suffer the fact that we had sinned and fallen, but he was also willing to give us grace and mercy. Anybody glad about the grace and mercy of God? Mercy is basically getting not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God did both of those things for us. Amen? And so I'm thankful for his grace and I'm thankful for his mercy. I want you to hear that not from a preacher that stands in the pulpit, but I want you to hear that from a human being who needs God as much as you do. A human being that has all kinds of ups and downs and ins and outs and failures and, and, and triumphant moments. But I want you to know that I needed this inheritance as much as you did. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if you were to find out that your, um, your long-lost uncle, who was a million gazillionaire, whatever he was, he died and passed on all of his wealth to you, but you just had to go file all the paperwork? Wouldn't you look into that? I mean, even if it seemed like a scam, wouldn't you go and check it out? If it meant a million dollars, I think you would probably file the paperwork and see what happened, wouldn't you? I mean, I would do that just because of the fact that there's so much on the line. I want you to know that Jesus did so much more for you than just die and leave you some money. He died not only so that you could have a riches in him, but you, he also died so you could have salvation through him. And I'm thankful for that. So I'm just saying, even if you think that maybe this is just an old book with some old stories of a religious leader named Jesus who was supposedly a Messiah in the first century of the 
church, wouldn't you want to look into it just in case? If he paid such an expensive price to die a criminal's, on a criminal's cross as a capital punishment, and he said, I'm dying for the sins of the world, then wouldn't you want to say, hey, if I have sins and if I need saving, maybe I should just look into the paperwork. Maybe I should just go to the word of God and maybe I should check in on what God has done for me. Amen. Somebody. I might get excited. I might get red in the face. I might get loud, but don't worry. I'm not mad at you. I'm excited about what Jesus did to save my soul. Amen. Amen. Because I'm not supposed to be here today. I've been through four near-death experiences. I've made it out of every one of them, and the devil's the fool. Amen. And so I'm glad I'm still here, but I want you to know it wasn't without the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ on my life from a cross where he bore my sin and shame. I'm thankful nothing can keep me from the love of God. Amen. I'm grateful that I'm bought with a price. I'm grateful that his forgiveness bought me with his blood. And I'm grateful for no other name higher than the name of Jesus. Scripture tells us that his blood was shed so that we could be purchased. In Ephesians 1 and 11, Scripture tells us this, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Everyone say inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1, 4-5, we find these words speaking along the same lines. It says this, and I have to read off the screen, so forgive me if I'm looking up here. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that he should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, he's saying that when he is holy and with he, when he was without blame, born not of a man, but born as Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, not having the bloodline of man which transferred sin from generation to generation, but being born of God, amen, somebody, so that he could die a spotless lamb. I'm grateful for that, but I also know this, that because he did that, we also can be holy and righteous and made true and right in him. Amen, someone. In verse 5, saying, Have predestined, having predestined unto us, or having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his desire to do this for us. Amen. It was his desire. In the last seven statements that Jesus makes when he's on the cross, one of the statements that he makes is, I thirst. And one of the most beautiful segments of scripture, Isaiah 25 and 8, which I won't read for you today, but you can search it out yourself. Even the famous author, Max Lucado, ferreted out an amazing fact that he was offered a drink of wine and gall, as Mark said in the Gospels. He called it gall. One is wine and vinegar. The other is wine and gall. According to Matthew, um, that's, that he, when he called it gall, Matthew was the one that re recorded it, but he chose instead not to drink of the wine and vinegar or wine and gall that was given to him. It was actually a set it actually gave him the ability to go through the crucifixion and not feel as much pain. But Jesus decided that he would not do that because he knew that we would need to know a, a Savior that understand, understood more than physical pain, more than physical suffering, that he would understand the full weight of everything possible to the human body. In other words, he was willing to suffer it all for us. 
his mental suffering. And one of the things that I found interesting about the cross of Jesus Christ is that whenever he died and he rose again, he still had the scars of the cross because he was willing not only to be crucified for us, but he was also willing to have the scars that told the story. Amen? In our life group, I was telling about how Jesus had the scars on his body when he was resurrected. The nails that pierced his hands, they believe they pierced him right about here and on both sides. And the nails that pierced his feet. That was one thing that proved to Thomas, doubting Thomas, in fact, that Jesus was the risen Savior, that he had scars in his life. And I want you to know that when I stand as a man and a preacher and all these other titles and hats that I get to wear, I'm not interested in hiding all my scars because I know my scars when I tell my story, when I tell where I've been and what I've done and what God has brought me out of. Hello, somebody. When God, just like he's brought you out, when God has brought me out. When I share those scars, Jesus steps into the room and he says, I will demonstrate myself and I will visit you if you give me glory and honor for keeping you through the difficult times of your life. I want you to know that every place that God has a visitation in your life, he will also show up with a demonstration in your life to prove that he was the author of the work. If you just keep trusting him, even when the hardest moments come, even when scars hurt and things happen and people leave and things hurt, guess what? If you just keep trusting God and you just believe on God that he went to a cross for me, therefore he can save me out of these things. God will show you that he can heal you through all of it. And he won't let you take away the scars because the scars tell the story, amen? And so they knew him as the savior because of the scars. And Thomas made one of the most amazing statements. He said, my Lord and my God. He said, my Savior and my Jehovah God. He said, you are the God of all heaven in a body. And the only time he got that revelation was when he saw the scars of Jesus. Know that when we're, when we're living life as we should and when we're doing our best, there's, there's not going to be a time where we can be sheltered too much and stay away from the hurts and pains of life. But I'm grateful to tell you that when you surrender them to God, you will walk away and go, truly, there was a Lord in my life that saved me and truly there was a God that was all powerful. Truly, he was a savior in some places in my life and truly, he came as a king with authority and power in my life. I'm thankful that I can preach to you that message, that he's not just a crucified Savior, that he's not just a, a suffering Savior, but he's also a sufficient and sovereign King. I'm grateful I can preach that message. And he said, I thirst. And they tried to give him poison. They believe that scholars believe that he was fulfilling Psalm 69, 21, where it says these words, if you have that for me, thank you. They gave him also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. They believe that when Jesus was on the cross and he said this statement, and they offered him sour wine to drink as a sedative, that he was referencing Psalm 69, and that he was actually saying to the people that were there listening and watching, what I am doing now was written centuries ago. 
what I'm doing now is not happenstance. I'm not letting men take my life. I lay it down, Jesus said. And he also told them that in three days, I'm going to get up again. So while I like to think with my crazy imagination that hell is having a party because they crucified Jesus, guess what? There's got to be something in the back of Lucifer's mind that says, but he said he's getting up on the third day. And guess what? He already raised Lazarus on the third day. So it's very possible if he can be the resurrection for Lazarus, he can be the resurrection for himself. Amen. Oh, I'm preaching real good, but I just want you to know I'm excited about the fact that he not only died and was buried because every other religious leader can die and be buried, but he got up again. Amen. He got up again. In 2 Timothy 1 and 9, it tells us that before the ages, he planned this thing. It says, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In Revelations 13 and 8, part B, it talks about the fact that the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Jesus Christ before the world began is in First Timothy, but Revelation 18, we don't have it, but you can look it up sometime on your own. But guess what? I found that he's not only a, a risen savior, he's not only willing to take care of our, our sins and our shame and our promises and our problems and give, our, him, give us his promises, but he also left messages in scripture for the people that were missing him. So how many know it's very hard to lose somebody? Amen. So these, these disciples that ran to the tomb that I read to you in John 20, and Mary Magdalene, that which ran to the tomb, how many remember Mary Magdalene? She had seven devils, and Jesus cast them out of her. And if you understand what that means, you know that in that time period, if you were a person that was possessed with devils, you often would either run through the streets or you would do things that were outcast that would make you an outcast you basically were not able to work at best you are a reformed mental patient if you ever were reformed and so to have Mary Magdalene be there and in her right mind was an amazing thing but the hardest thing that we find in scripture is the as the Achilles heel of the Christian faith is that the people that referenced the resurrection, the people that are in scripture that were the ones that were initially telling the story that Jesus was risen were women. And in this day and age, now it's hard to talk about in 2018, but in this day and age, women did not have the same status. This was a misogynistic society, amen? And so what happens in scripture here is you have women that observed the resurrection. Even a second century Greek philosopher attacked the church with a, with a letter st stating that how can anyone expect rational man to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? Yes, I just said that in 2018. Did you feel how uncomfortable that was? This man literally hated Christianity and he wrote a scathing report about the fact that if you were a Jesus that would be resurrected, you would not have women in this day be the ones that referenced or that first saw your resurrection. In other words, if you were going to write a story 
about a Messiah and tell the story for generations to come. You would at least be cognizant of the day in which it was written. You would at least reference that there were men that first saw it in a men-driven society. But instead, the thing that should have never happened, the thing that would possibly make the story even more believable to human beings would be that Peter got there first or maybe John showed up first. But instead, we have a woman who had not only possibly mental issues previously, but that was uh, uh, that had possibly seven or more demons in her life cast out. She was the one that first saw Jesus resurrected because when you read further down in the chapter, you find out that she was searching for him and that he was standing right there, but she didn't recognize him because she was looking for something different. And so what's interesting is that if I were to write the story or you were to write the story or somebody was to make up this story, they said in history in this time, they would have written it differently. But the thing that's actually the Achilles heel to the Christian faith, having women at that time be the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, proves that it actually is a resurrection because you wouldn't write it like that. Nobody would have. But because he got up, hundreds believed in a resurrected Savior. Amen? There are many people that came before and after Jesus that were fake Messiah. You can read about them. One of the... One of the most famous is Barbacras. I can't even say his name, but you can look it up. Um, he had this amazing uprising, and they they fought the Roman uh, the Roman oppression for about three years, and then and then they killed him, and he died, but he didn't resurrect. He didn't get back up. And the problem is is there's quite a few people that were messianic pretenders in the scriptures. Um, you see that Jesus not only said he was the Messiah, but he also had thousands and thousands of years of Old Testament prophecy fulfilled throughout his life. And so what you see is even the greatest skeptic, even people that don't believe there's a God, read the Bible because it's so strongly knit together from Old Testament to New Testament. The fact that we have a Savior that not only came, but he did miracles and worked, worked amazing um, aspects of, of prophecy into his life without even seemingly trying. He, there are so many different prophecies that came to pass in his crucifixion alone that I can't even stand here and tell you all of them, but I want to talk to you just for a minute about the loving and kindness of a Savior. Is that okay? As I wrap up today, I want to share with you what, what it's like to see a Savior that is so compassionate for his people that while he's in the middle of dying on a cross, he's leaving messages for those that would hurt when he was gone. He was willing to be compassionate. Behold the kindness of the Lord. And then if you look in verse number 11, I'm just going to start in verse 10, actually, if you could back up for me, Nate, to verse 10. Then the disciples went away. Again, unto their own home. They had run, they saw, they looked. Peter ran in and he saw the grave clothes, the napkin that was about the face of Jesus. It was folded and set off in another place. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But look at this, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. She's weeping because the one person that brought her out of everything that she was in was now dead. The one that she was following. And, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Maybe we just missed it. Maybe it's possible John or Peter missed it. But then look at the next verse. And seeing two angels, 
in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Peter and John did not say that they saw an angel. It's not recorded that they saw the angels, but she did see the angels. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't say anything, I don't know. But here they record a woman who shouldn't have seen anything. She should have just been overwhelmed with the loss of her Savior. Verse 13 says, and they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? There's a time to cry and there's a time to, to recognize when there's been a work of God done in your life. Amen. And they're like, why are you crying? She saith unto them, because they have taken away the, my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. She thought they were ju had just taken him away, but when she had said this, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and he knew not, and she knew, or, and knew not that it was uh, Jesus. In one place it says she supposed him to be the guard. To go, the, go to the next verse, it does pick this up. And Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? He's in the middle of a, a work of the high priest. If you know anything about Old Testament, you know that they had to sacrifice lambs. Anybody come with a lamb on the top of their car today? No? Anybody with a goat? Sheep? Doves? Nothing? Okay, awesome. So we're not living in the Old Testament. That's great. We're living in a dispensation of grace. But guess what? She was, he was in the middle of taking his own spotless lamb and offering it as an atonement for the entire world. And while he's in the middle of that process, he recognized the heart of a hurting woman. And he comes to her and he doesn't say, woman, what's wrong with you? He says, who are you looking for? Recognize the gentleness of our Savior. And she says, supposing him to be a gardener, she, she was looking for something wrong. She was, she was even looking for a dead savior. But Jesus came to her because I want you to know that's the culmination of the entire Christian message is that we can be looking for Jesus in the wrong places. We can be looking for something in the wrong relationships. We can be looking for God in a place that, isn't, that he's not even there anymore. We can be looking for him in our traditions and in old things that we believed but aren't necessarily lined up to the word of God. And you can be searching for God God in the wrong way and he'll show up in the right way amen he'll show up and give you revelation of who he is but he'll first ask you what are you looking for what do you want from me because you will get what you want from the Lord if you just want to season him over your life that's all you'll have is a little bit of God but if you want more of him guess what he will show up and he'll change everything in your life He'll make life easier because he's walking with you, not because life gets easier. Amen? And so he leaves a message for her. He's like, whom do you seek? And she starts to say, well, it looks like you're the gardener. Say unto, said unto him, sir, if you know where they've taken him, would you tell me where they laid him? And I will go take, this is a little woman planning to pick up Jesus' body. Hello, somebody. That's not rational. She's gonna just throw him over her head, the shoulder like a sack of potatoes and carry Jesus off. That's not gonna work too well. But she was so distraught that she was like, where is he? I'll do whatever it takes to go get him. And then Jesus said unto her, Mary. And in that moment, she received revelation. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say master or teacher. And she said, sometimes it takes God saying your name before you really see who he is. Sometimes you just have to know that no matter what you're going through, God will show up and ask you, do you want to give it to me? 
And when you say, well, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can release this. I don't know if I can release control of this situation. I feel like I need to take care of it. And sometimes God will just say your name. And he'll say, I can take care of it. But the other message is not only did he say, call her by name. But then he said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and to your God. And what he's saying in verse 18, keep going, is Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. This is the first person that saw the resurrected Jesus and that he had spoken these things to her. In other words, she came and gave the message to Peter and John and they had already seen something amazing. I think Peter received the message because of what he saw in the tomb. There is a custom, and I'm going to end with this. And I was ending in verse 7, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Maybe you've heard me preach about this before. Maybe you haven't. But this was a very strong revelation to me. Can I have your attention for two more minutes? And then we'll do an Easter egg hunt. And I'm going to win. I'm just kidding. Pro-Jesus, pro-Easter egg. What they have is they have the linen clothes and then they have the head towel that they would wrap his head in. And those should have been together. There's a couple things going on here. Number one, scholars say that maybe Peter was looking at the evidence because he was evidence-driven. Maybe he was like, why would someone steal Jesus and be so sloppy to leave this behind? Some say that Jesus... It's just a, a Christianity belief that you just have to believe and not look at evidence. That's not true. You can have the ability to look at Jesus very logically. Theologically, you can look at him. Rationally, you can look at him. Emotionally, you can experience him. And philosophically, you can see him in the word of God and in literature. Jesus is not just a, a quick emotional high. We don't come here and just get our high for the week and then leave, and hopefully we got enough to live on it all week. He's not a hit. Amen? Jesus is our Savior and Lord, and he wants to be in every segment of our life. And I want to tell you that because he will leave beautiful examples in the scripture of why he's there and what he's doing. He's in the middle of the greatest atoning work ever, and Peter sees the napkin that was on the head of Jesus set off to the side. When you go into a Jewish home, there's a custom. Hear me carefully. And when you sit down to eat, you take the napkin and you use the napkin Maybe you set it in your lap, you set it near you. But whenever you're done eating, you wrinkle up the napkin and you just throw it on the table. And it tells, it tells the, the caretaker, or it tells the person who is your host that you are done with, the, with what you're doing at the table. You're done with the food that you're eating. You're, you're done fellowshipping at the table. They just throw it down all bunched up. But whenever he left and he folded it neatly and set it off to itself, Whenever you were eating at, a, at a, someone's house and you needed to leave the table for any reason, you would fold your napkin up and you would set it by your plate. And it left, a, it was a, it's a Jewish custom, and it left the message forever, you, whoever your host was, that I'm not done here yet. I'm coming back to finish my meal. And that was a custom. So they would, they would fold their napkin and they would set it down carefully next to the meal or off to the side saying, I'm not finished yet. 
And so what the message is in scripture here that Peter saw, and I think it helped him believe Mary Magdalene when Mary Magdalene showed up and said, I've seen him. I've seen him alive. He's not dead. I know he lives and he reigns. He died a savior, but he got up a king and now he has all power from death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And Peter's like, yeah, I already got the message. Because he put the, the grave clothes folded, wrapped, and laid off by themselves, which was a message because Peter was heavily Jewish and steeped in the customs. And it said, I'm not finished yet. So when Peter walked in that tomb, he saw that Jesus was doing something that nobody else could do. He was getting up out of the grave by the power of God's spirit, amen? And he was telling him, don't worry, death is not the finish. I'm not done yet. The final product of what's gonna happen is I'm gonna be resurrected. And I think that helped Peter to go, take me to where you saw him, or, or I'm glad that he's risen. And so then they all end up in this room locked. They're, fe they're still fearful, but Jesus shows up among them and starts walking among them, and they begin to celebrate. What a moment that would have been, wouldn't it? Just an amazing moment where God shows up, and now your king who you thought died is now resurrected. And even though he didn't come and die the way they thought maybe that he would have, and they felt the loss, he came back and said, this this is what I was up to all along. It was never a loss at the cross. It was supposed to be a death that brought life. It was supposed to be the final answer to all the things. And when he died and he said it is finished, a hundred billion failures were wiped away. A hundred billion mistakes were forever gone because our Savior and our Lord is able to do succeeding, abundant, above all we could ever ask or think. And the message is today that he's not finished with what he's doing in your life. I believe that somebody here needs to hear like Peter that God has folded up the thing that was supposed to cause death and the thing that was supposed to be a tragedy and he's folded it up and he set it over to the side and if you will listen to the message of this preacher, I want to tell you that God's got a folded napkin in your life. God's got a folded head cloth in your life and he's not done. He's not finished with that situation. He's not finished with your story. He's not finished with the work that he's doing in you. And you know he's doing it because you felt it for so long. You've seen his hand on you. You saw him spare you from that accident. You saw him spare your sister or your brother. You saw him work so many times and it's just him waving that folded flag where he's saying, hey, I'm not finished with this yet. When it's all done, it's gonna be perfect because he doesn't do anything that's not perfect. It will be perfect when he's finished. And when he stands up and looks at his work, if we have submitted and surrendered just as he surrendered as our Savior, we will join him as reigning heirs, inheriting the kingdom of God. And that crown of thorns was translated to a king of kings and a lord of lords. And one day we're going to see him and every accomplishment in our crown from life, every gem that we have from every sacrifice we made in the crown that we have from life. The Bible says that we are going to receive a crown.
But there's going to be a moment where we're going to stand in front of our finishing Savior and our great and mighty God. And the only thing that's going to be worthy of that moment is if we take our entire life's work, everything we've ever done, everything he's ever finished in that crown, and we cast it at his feet as the final worship that his story purchased our stories and his saving saved us all. Would you stand with me today? Sorry for weeping. When I turned 40, the waterworks turned on and they just won't shut off. And I'm thankful that I can share with you a story of victory and not the story of some dead religious leader that didn't make it out like Bar Crocus or whatever his name was. Or whoever that guy was. And the thing that I found so beautiful is that when we sing Worthy is the Lamb for Sinners Slain and when we sing all the stories and in song that we sing and today we were talking about a cel celebrating our King, somehow he gives us the power to have dominion over things we were supposed to be drowning in. But instead, we can walk on them. I don't know what your story is, but I promise you if you give your story to him, he'll make it worthy of his glory. He'll make it worthy of his name. This isn't just a rational moment. I'm not just asking you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I'm not, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking for you just to be emotional when you see me emotional because he saved me and he brought me out of so many things. I'm not asking for that. I'm not asking for you to just learn the Bible so well that you can spout scripture and nah, that doesn't help. It does change your life in so many ways, but if that's all you do and it doesn't change you, it doesn't help. But through our rationality and through our understanding of the scriptures, no matter what I say as far as argumentation and toward the fact that Jesus was there, Jesus did live, Jesus did die, and he was resurrected. I can tell you in every story and every place in my life, as I've lived out my story for the Lord, when I share my story, Ellen, God always shows up in the room. When I share my testimony, something about telling the story of how Jesus brought you out is more powerful than any other story because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument and because I've experienced it I can tell you if he did it for me he'll do it for you close with this story because I want you to feel also the emotion of a risen king I know you're standing. I shared this at our life group. A friend of mine, his name Jeff Harple, he was at the hospital with a new couple. I'm sharing this story because I want you to understand the emotion of a risen king. The fact that they had no hope and God stepped in. This just happened not long ago. I talked to him last weekend at our minister's conference and he had gotten called to the hospital to pray for somebody just like I did on Friday night. Just go to the hospital and you're going to pray. And he went, there was a young couple that had a baby and the baby was born and they had scoped 
down because they knew something was wrong and they found out that the baby didn't have any intestines. Literally that from the diaphragm down there was nothing to process. And so they told the parents the unfortunate news that the baby didn't develop right in the womb and though the heart's beating, it's getting weaker and there's gonna be a moment where it just stops and you got about maybe four hours with your baby. And when Pastor Harple walked in to the room, this couple didn't really know how to pray. And the husband was there and greeted Pastor and said, hey, Pastor, good to see you. I'm, baby's over here. And mom was sitting there holding baby and there's all these tubes and all these things stuck to baby's head. And, and, and sweet little baby girl was hooked up to all these machines and and Jeff walked over and he said, you know, quite honestly, I just, I don't know if God was going to heal the baby. I just know I'm called to lay hands on the sick. And the Bible says they shall recover. And not everybody may recover, but it's not my job to heal. It's my, my job to pray, he said. So he said, would it be all right if we pray? And he put his arm up around the dad and kind of reached down to mom. And he just, he just grabbed the little baby's foot just grabbed the foot and just said, Jesus, would you do a work? You suffered stripes on the cross and you didn't do that for no reason. You said we were wounded, you were wounded for our transgressions, you were bruised for our iniquities. And you said by your stripes we would be healed. And so I'm asking you to heal this little baby in Jesus' name. And when he put the name of Jesus on it, he elicited a risen king and the power of that name of Jesus. Then he gave his condolences and hugged the family and then they left. They got in their car and they were 15 minutes away and the phone went off. And it was a family member calling. And they said, you need to come back to the hospital. And he's like, what, what's going on? What happened? Did the baby pass away? And they said, no, we don't, we don't exactly know how we can explain this but the baby had a bowel movement and the baby's gonna be okay. And they got doctors all around this baby. They don't know what's going on because they knew that baby didn't have intestines. And 15 minutes later, that baby was not only doing what babies should do, <laughs> but the baby was actually getting better. The heartbeat was getting stronger. That baby still lives today. Wasn't supposed to happen, but because he bore stripes, and because he went to the cross and because he died and rose again, we have a risen king, amen? And he has all power and authority over everything. This is a true miracle because they have documented that that baby didn't and now they have documented that that child does. A true miracle. I want to, I want to just close with you today and just tell you that you serve a miracle working God, amen? You serve a powerful risen king. And I hope somewhere in this sermon that you have felt God's presence and sensed the emotion and power of God. Jesus, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you for this Easter service. 
thank you for the fact that you came and you died for us. I know you've been looking over all of us and you've been watching over all of us. And if there's anyone here today that feels like they're unworthy, Lord God, help them to realize that conviction in your presence is different from condemnation. You don't condemn any one of your children. We're all your children, Jesus, but you do convict us because even though we may have come with things in our life that need to change according to your word, if we ever surrender to you and if we somehow find a way to give you complete access to our story, that you can change things for the good. You can change things for the better, God. I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus that you do such a great work in somebody's life that forever people would look at it and say, God must have done that. God did that. The, the King of kings and Lord of lords is here in this place today and I'm praying that you'd convict a heart, Lord God, that you'd change somebody's life and no matter how we come, help us know that we are welcome in your presence. We are welcome in your presence but I know, Lord Jesus, if we come, you will not let us leave the same. You'll change us. You'll change our hearts and our lives.